Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is an extraordinary minister of podcast content, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? Matt, I'm doing so good, so good. That's what I like to hear. If that's what you like to hear, you can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash romancircuspod. Find us on Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review us if you so choose. We're also anywhere that podcasts are, uh, except Spotify, but everywhere else. Anyway, Zach, what's going on? we're not on SoundCloud, are we? I think we're on SoundCloud. Are we not? Okay. I don't know. Maybe we're not. Uh, Hard to say these days. Matt Baker's always like... Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus podcast. <laughs> that's that's I'm how just I doing be. My impression of you. Yeah, that's a that's a good impression. People are very fooled. What's going on? So this is your first week. You're not working for the man anymore. You're working for a man, which is yourself. Yes, this is my first week of self-employment. Um, I will say that there are a, a lot of hours that have to be worked each day. Um, but mm-hmm. I can at least, you know, schedule them a little bit better for like the times when I'm most productive. So that part's good. Um, yeah, it was weird sort of, you know, saying goodbye to my coworkers and my team and, um, you know, packing up my desk, but I, I'm excited. I'm really, uh, looking forward to this sort of next, chapter in my life um and and everything that god has in store for me so you're like yeah i'm only productive between 1 15 p.m and 1 45 p.m please yeah, it's do basically all. like it is it's like 10 10 a.m to 11 a.m and then uh like 3 30 to 4 30 okay well since you're working by you're working on your own working for yourself doing the cpa thing that must mean you have a lot of time to check out the news so i ask you zach what's in the news well um the main story that i've seen going on in the news is that uh john bolton um left the white house like was as was he visiting he just left the white house right um he was uh previously an assistant to the president for national security affairs Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so John Bolton is sort of like a textbook neocon. His solution to everything is to uh, overthrow the government of some, you know, poor country halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been leading us into these conflicts his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. So he's now out, which is great. Um, if you, uh, you know, if you do live in the Middle East and you don't want to starve to death, this is a win for you. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Hey, Zach, speaking of starving to death, uh huh. McDonald's is trying to make sure that none of us ever starve to death again, except if you can't afford their food. They've acquired an AI company to help automate the drive through. So they're, they acquired Apprente 
which uses artificial. Is this going to be like those? Uh, is this be like those car washes where you you like drive onto the spot and then you put your car in neutral and it just pulls you through? Ooh, that would be nice. No, I think what happens is it's AI that tries to understand speech. So you don't worry. You still get all the satisfaction of yelling your order into a box. That thing, I don't think they've. They're. I think they're pretty set I'd with like that. Six thousand chicken vaginas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's like maybe our first Family Guy reference on this show. It um, might be. No, so yeah, they're like the box. Uh, you can still yell into that. You can still look like an idiot and yell into the box. That's that's perfect. We've got that covered. Uh, we're gonna have a program that understands you yelling. And it's going to take care of it. So you like my thing would be, hey, why don't you have like a touchpad where you can just drive up and touch what you want and uh, all that. But they're they're like, no, we're sticking with the box. Everybody loves the box. Uh, Yeah. So that's that's what they're doing. They're trying to make it make it easier yet equally as embarrassing. Uh, Congratulations to McDonald's. Yeah, so it's, they say it should cut down on service times, but who actually knows how this goes? It just sounds this sounds like one of those things where maybe the minimum wage is getting raised, and they're just like, we need to get ahead of this before people start making $20 an hour. But who am I to say? Well, so is it going to be like Alexa? Like, you're going to be like, I would like, you know, six chicken McNuggets, and it's going to be like... 16 McChickens coming right up and you're like no Siri I you know it probably is I it I wouldn't be too surprised the deal is worth more than 300 million Zach really wow it's Mm. rivaling uh this podcast (laughs) yeah um okay so basically they're wanting to have it's like self that is weird um the the technology it changes drive through menus based on the time of day, the weather, the traffic, and the customer's order, all to coax the customer to spend more. Okay. Well, that's the other thing I was wondering about is that, like, you know, McDonald's, their their whole thing used to be, do you want to supersize that? And mm. then didn't they stop that after that documentary? Yes, 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 they did. Well, so now it's like, now they're going to start, uh, it's like, I don't know, I'm torn on these things because... I mean, I hope, well, one, I hope they teach this robot thing how to say the ice cream machine's broken because uh, yeah. we all know what happens when you try to get milkshakes at McDonald's. Right, yeah, um, they're, yeah, you're like, all of the Oreo McFlurry and it just is like, ice cream machine broken. Like, it just says that. And you're like, well, you don't say I anything wish, else. How can you say that? I wish they would just do, like, hotels with the no vacancy sign and just let us know before I pull in if the, if the ice cream machine's broken or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I get so mad about that. Um, so you know I'm torn because so I would say, I mean not I would say the church says you have to pay a living wage. I would I would rather see something automated than see it to continue to rely on paying substandard wages. And um, you know we always talk about fully automated luxury communism, and you know that's <laughs> this is clearly a step towards that. Have we ever talked about that? We always talk about it. Oh yeah, no, I, I forgot. We We're I, I internet's think it's something I internet's number one fully automated luxury communism podcast. 
Well, uh, the idea with fully automated, because it's like, okay, you know, who does all the crap jobs if you don't have, like, a wage system? Mm-hmm. But you get all that stuff automated, and then we can all just kind of, you know, lay around sunning ourselves while robots take care of it. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. You I have, don't actually you... know how it works, but, <laughs> it, you know, it, I, there's experts who work that kind of stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's it. Three types of things in fully automated luxury communism. The robots, the people laying around sunning themselves, and the experts working it all out. Right. Yeah. Right, okay. right, right. Well, and, you know... Like all innovation, never mind. I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip that point I was gonna make about all innovation. Zach, you don't want to be a luddite. I, I mean, know. you know the luddites. Uh, the luddites were actually right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously they didn't get what they wanted, but their predictions all came true. Um, which is why it's kind of funny that that gets thrown around the way it does. Is it's like, you know, they were treated as crazy for predicting what. What ended up happening? Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. Kind of like in how in 40 years when everyone realizes that birds are ju- were replaced by drones, me and my people will not be looked at as silly anymore. Well, first of all, birds aren't real. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Twitter account that's exposing the fact that birds aren't real? Yeah, they all got replaced by drones. We're not just that. They're just never existed. I mean, ask yourself, have you ever seen a bird? No. You just hear about them. (laughs) The only the only bird I've seen is Big Bird. Literally find find me anyone that you know that has seen a bird and we will talk. But Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's really a whole this is a there's a whole Twitter account that's actually have you seen it before? I have seen it, yes. Okay. I, I like it a lot. It's called Birds Aren't Real. But if they are real, why has no one ever seen one again? No, that is true. You're you're right about that. Roman Circus Podcast would like to extend a heartfelt congratulations to West University Place, Texas, for being named USA Today's best city to live. They did top 50 cities to live. And West University Place, Texas, a wealthy suburb of Houston, ranks as the best city to live. Nice. What mm-hmm. is the best city to die? Ooh, that's a good question. Any 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 city, I guess. I don't know. Number two? You're thinking, I've never heard of West University Place, uh, Texas, so they're probably like going off the board with all these things. Number two? Beverly Hills, California, Zach. Just... They just say Beverly Hills is the second best city to live. They also say the median household income in Beverly Hills is $103,000, which I would disagree with, but also I guess because uh, Hollywood... All the help help commutes, so... Yeah, well, that, but all uh, all the bartenders and... Waiters from Hollywood all live in Beverly Hills, like three to a three to a flat. So, that oh probably... man, what? Sorry, go on. No, oh no. yeah, if you add Continue. all three of them up. Hmm? Um, I was going to talk about those pod things. What Have you pod? seen those? They're like these pods that you live. They're, they're, I can't remember what they're called. Like pod somethings. They're in San Francisco and Los Angeles. They're okay. like shared living spaces where you rent just a pod. Oh, interesting. So, like, you if you're there, 
No, is it like if you're there for auditions, you can just rent a pod and stay there no. as long as you need? No, that people can use them as like long-term living arrangements, like for their housing. Pod share? Yeah, something like that. Are you pulling it up? Um, it just says pod share, affordable co-living. Yeah. So it's a startup, see, and they basically, they're $1,200 a month. Okay, see... They look like the, refugee camps. Yeah, the thing about this is, the problem with these things is like, everyone's like, oh, it's such a, it's such like an innovative, fun, like interesting way to get more people to be able to live affordably yeah, it's in so Los Angeles. Well, Sleeping porches, <laughs> super innovative. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It like, it pulls the wool over everyone's eyes and it it can just keep rents high, right? It does nothing to bring down the inflated rents in Los Angeles. No, now they say, well, $1,200 becomes the new, like, zero because, you know, that's a, a pod. So if you want your own bathroom, that's going to be, you know, that's going to cost you. Yeah. Well, the one article I'm seeing, there's a good thing about these pod-based communities, Zach, is... S asterisk X is banned. They've banned it, Zach. Oh, well, that's good. Actually, yeah. okay, I'm down with this. Yeah, no, that's good. We need to keep it off the timeline and keep it out of the pod, the pod communities, Zach. Right. No, I think we've been really close to getting it banned for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Okay, pod. We can all be pod people. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's just, I mean, seriously, you look at it and you're like, wow, this is like a refugee camp. And these kids are probably in there making, you know, 80 grand a, a year, um, which is above the national household medium. Mm-hmm. And living in a, a, a summer camp arrangement, but li- like living in a homeless shelter. How is this not a, how is this not a cult? Like, how are they not going to turn these things into cults? I would. Well, because like most people, they're probably I don't even not like very warm. But they're probably not going to talk to each other like most neighbors. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, never mind. This next thing I found, it says Podshare is not a cult, but it is weird. Okay, well, they say it's not a cult, so it must not be a cult. I stand corrected. Well, yeah, no, I mean, well, okay, but isn't that what all cults say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. not exactly what a cult would say. It's not a cult. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. they walk around with signs on their chests that say, definitely not a cult. Anyway, speaking of things that are not a cult, how do you like that transition? I liked it. Uh, we don't really do transitions here. We just I just like to smash cut into the next thing. Uh, what are we talking about? Marie Kondo. You've been Marie Kondoing things, and we wanted to talk about the virtue of simplicity today. Because Zach has been trying to be a more simplicity-minded person. Yes, I've been trying to become simplicit-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he thought it would be good to talk about. So why don't you, we'll start off, give us a little, give us the gist of what's going on with you. Okay, so, um, you know, I you've, you've been to my apartment. I have a, you know, pretty decent-sized apartment. Um, certainly not a pod share situation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've just like I have I've commented for a long time that I've got stuff that I would, that I wish I didn't have, and you know, I feel like I spent a lot of time having to clean it up, and so I, I wanted to basically get rid of things. 
Um, and I've tried this before, and it's like, I don't know, I'll maybe get like a box or two and haul it off to Goodwill. Well, normally I get the box, it sits there for, you know, ever, and then finally it ends up at like Vincent DePaul or someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I watched with my mother the Tidying Up show on Netflix right. with uh, Marie Kondo. She is a Japanese lady from Japan. Ooh, um, interesting. Yeah. And it was interesting seeing, uh, I, I guess what I noticed the difference was on the show was that people were getting rid of things that they didn't want to get rid of, but they also didn't want to keep. And I was like, oh, I like this. So I read the book. Well, okay, I listened to the book, and that was because I forgot to cancel my Audible, so I had unused credits. That's fine. Um, but I uh, I listened to the book, and it was interesting. So I would say on a purely sort of natural level as far as the the sort of method it proposes for getting rid of things and for tidying, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, um, it's actually very practical and, and I think helpful. Um, but then attached to it was sort of a a philosophy or sort of a spiritual aspect that um, is not helpful. And oh, wow. Yeah. And it sort of made me uncomfortable because I'm not a proponent of taking things that are, you know, non-Catholic, whether we're talking Protestant or New Age or Eastern or whatever, and, you know, dressing them up Catholic by changing this and changing that, you know, a la Catholic yoga etc etc or marianne Um, williamson oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry well i mean when she becomes catholic she'll be sorry yeah well hmm. (laughs) yeah crystal like you're not i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna treat relics like crystals or i mean basically Mm -hmm. you know again uh so you know i was thinking through you know what the approach was then because i mean obviously we talked to people quite a bit about how you know you can't you know like with yoga like you can't detach yoga from the underlying spirituality um at least according to um the yogis themselves sure and you know tibetan nuns and and the people who live this i mean you know maybe the like american yoga instructor after work ladies might think so but you know they took a weekend class the people who live this are like no you can't you can't take any of it without taking all of it. And so, you know, so I figure first we can talk about the virtue of simplicity and how that kind of relates to the idea of, of you know, what I'm trying to do, clean out my apartment and get rid of things. And and then we can talk about the Mary Kondo thing, which is wildly popular right now. Um, apparently, like, donation places are overwhelmed with the amount of stuff they've had stack up since that show premiered on Netflix. The virtue of simplicity, I think you can tell me this, it falls under temperance? Right, so it's the it's a supernatural virtue that seeks only to do the will of God without regard to self-sacrifice or self-advantage. So basically it's it's something where you, it it has you're not looking for a benefit of sacrifice or you're not looking for the benefit of gaining. It's just you're looking for the benefit of just being, really. And the way that kind of filters down into your possessions is that basically you own those things that are necessary um, for your final end, and that's it. 
The Correct. idea being that, you know, properly ordered, obviously, food is still for your final end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that that would come under temperance, meaning you're only eating what you need for the sake of health and vigor, right? You're only needing, eating what you need for that meal. You're not hoarding things. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the idea being you don't just have loads and loads of stuff. Yeah, so the re- one of the it, – it kind of – we see that in the parable – about like the rich fool what is it you have to leave everything behind and follow me and he doesn't he like walks he goes away, away really sad. sad yeah so the the idea of simplicity is that uh, if we live simply then we won't be attached to our own ambition or our own thoughts of the way that we think our life should go so it's another way of fully giving over to the will of god okay i say that as someone who has way too no, much stuff I mean, what? that isn't, I mean, that I guess can be true by your standards. I feel like you've done a better job at this virtue than I have. I mean, it's, it's tough, though. Like, you, I really have gotten rid of a lot of stuff over the past almost two years. But I, mm-hmm. it, you just acquire so much that it really takes multiple efforts to weed through it. Because your first pass, I'm sure you can talk more about this. Like, your first pass, you'll... Maybe say if you have eighty things, you'll keep sixty of them, and you're getting rid of twenty five percent of your stuff, right? And that's a whole bunch. But then the second time you go through, you're looking at everything with fresh eyes, and you may be able to get rid of half of that. Then, right? It just takes more. Yeah. You have you have to keep coming back around because unless unless you're just better than I am, and you just have at it, you just chuck all of it, and you just start over. You're like our you're like our buddy Jake deleting his tweets. Always deleting his tweets. Always. Okay, but anyway, you were saying. Well, um so the the basically the method that happens with the sort of KonMari method, which is what's proposed by Mary Kondo, is that you go through all of your things by category, not by location. So instead of it's not like you clean out your bedroom one day and then your bathroom the next day. It's like you start with a category like clothing and you you deal with all of your clothing and then you move on to the next category. And basically instead of kind of just tossing everything out or or keeping everything, you literally go through one by one and decide, you know, what to keep. And the measure that she uses is you only keep those things that spark joy. Like you, you know, you grab them and you're like, oh yes, this. Which is probably problematic i think i don't know i don't really know what to make of that the idea if you're purely getting joy from these material things like that is that can be problematic but the other the other idea is that if if you're just if you're using the spark joy as a way to you know go between whether or not these things are valuable then that is a whole other thing and so that's where like Basically, you know, I dumped all my clothes into a pile, like uh, like she says to do, um, and I just kind of went through each thing. Um, and one thing that was interesting is that there are clothes that were gifts that people gave to me mm-hmm. um, that I never wear because I, I mean I just I don't they they either fit funny or I don't like them at all or, or whatever. Um, and I felt bad about putting them in the uh, the right. get rid of pile. Yeah, totally, totally. But then, you know, it also dawned on me that I also felt bad every time I just saw those things in my drawer 
because I never wear them, you know? Ah, yes, that is true. So, like, I've literally got this, you know, sweater that I never wear, but it every time I see it, it reminds me that I'm, like, ungrateful for not wearing it. <laughs> and then, But then I don't even want to get rid of it because that makes me feel bad. And it's well, like, why would you keep something like that in your house? Yeah, but... So you actually saved yourself feeling bad because you did one giant final feel bad instead of revisiting your feeling bad. Well, exactly. And then, you know, it does make you think, okay, people give you gifts as a as a sign of, you know... Affection. Affection, yeah. Um, they don't want you, like, agonizing over not using the gift. Mm-hmm. So they probably, you know, if you were to really sit them down and explain to them... You know, I don't, you know, the thought of this meant a lot to me, but it just isn't something I wear. And every time I see it, I feel bad and like think of you. They'd be like, well, get rid of it then. Like, I didn't give you that gift to make you miserable. Whenever I see this, I I think of you and feel awful. Well, I don't know. That is, I mean, maybe I'm just crazy, but like, you know, there's a sweater that my dear grandmother, who doesn't do podcasts, um, so she's not going to hear this. She gave to me, and it was very thoughtful. I love my grandma, you know, uh-huh. to death. And at the end of the day, though, this sweater just isn't something. It doesn't. The thought of it meant so much to me, but it doesn't look good on me or match anything else. I it just isn't. It's just not me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always see it in there, and I think, oh, you know, she went out and she picked this out for me, and I never wear it, and I'm such a you know terrible human being. And, you know, I feel bad that I'm now giving it. But, you know, the person who goes to the the thrift store that I'm donating to and finds it and it's the perfect, you know, fit to their outfit, they're going to be really happy. And I can think that it was so nice of my grandmother to give me that. And, you know, I don't have to hold on to it forever and feel bad for not wearing it, you know? Sure. And, and the idea, I think, of unnecessarily hoarding items, you don't get a free pass under any clause of well I feel bad right so if someone if someone can make better use of it and they need it then it's it's best to get rid of it for their benefit instead of you know it's being in the back of the closet just because you're feeling a little sad sad that grandma picked it out so there is that, that that part of me that thinks that like little Therese would have been like, oh, I would only wear that sweater every day for six months as a result, you know, like oh right, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. ultimately, I, I I said goodbye to the sweater, um, and that's the other thing is that when you decide to get rid of things, you thank them and then get rid of them, and that's where we start to get into the, sort of the the weird territory of the whole Conmari thing. Yeah, can I? Sorry, can I tangent? Can I tell you a story about saint therese oh please of course i don't know how much this has to do but it popped in my head and i always thought it was the sweetest story in alhambra in california out by pasadena there is saint therese the church is that where they speak bilingual is that where they speak bilingual anyway don't you remember when we were at the mission remember we were at the mission and we met that stranger that saw us uh and was like, oh, I used to go to mass, but they only do mass in bilingual. And she meant <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> I don't remember that. That was that was way out on the west side, so this is more east. Okay, you don't remember, but you do now? I remember going to the mission, and I remember thinking it was really odd, so yeah. She, like, saw us praying at when we were eating. Mm-hmm. And she was like, 
Oh, I used oh, to go to yeah, mass yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they only do it in bilingual. And by bilingual, <laughs> she meant Spanish. And it was just funny because it was like, I don't know if you know what that word means. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, so there's that church out there, and it's a school. So in St. Therese, there's a church and there's a school. And the father there, the pastor's father, Philip, and he is great. And he actually maybe... had the TLM, right? Yeah, maybe he's not... Yeah, pa- I've been there. He might not be the pastor, but... But, uh, yeah, so he it's great, and Father Philip is amazing. So one day, a friend of the show, Leo, and I are upstairs talking with Father Philip in their little conference center, and we're looking through some books, and he's showing us pictures of St. Therese and St. Therese's family. Father Philip said maybe the most adorable thing. He said that St. Therese gave up everything and had no possessions, and she was a young girl, and that young girl never had a dollhouse. Well, we named a school here after her, so I like to think of this as her dollhouse. And it's like, that is the most adorable thing, and I really appreciated it. And I just yeah, wanted, that is very precious. That's excessively just, precious. Yeah, I just wanted to share that as a way of, because you mentioned how she would have worn that, that sweater. But, uh, well, because there's a story yeah. of, I think it was Therese, who um, there was a nun that she didn't like um, at, at the Carmel, and she asked to be, like, assigned all the same chores as that, as that sister. Oh, um, right. Yeah, that is, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And so that's where I'm like, yeah, she'd probably wear this forever. Um, but anyway, so... Again, this is where so I brought I bring up this whole thing about thanking the objects and some of the feedback I get from people is well I just thank God for you know bringing that to me and and basically instead of the object I thank God which I think is a good thing obviously thanking God and not thanking objects but again mm-hmm. it's like is that just one of those like little cop outs we do where we we sort of you know whitewash like the kind of questionable aspects of something out sure sure i think that's a valid concern yeah but then some of the things are kind of funny where it's like you know these things have already served their purpose like they've taught you you know the purpose of this sweater was to teach you that wide neck sweaters don't look good on you and so now that it's (laughs) served its purpose you can go ahead and and give it to someone else Mm -hmm. and um i thought that was kind of a funny way to think and that being on the natural level you know seems fine um so then after clothing I will say it is it is a different experience, you know, and I, I hate to sound like a hippie or something, but like, you know, when you get up in the morning and because you've gotten rid of so much of your clothes, everything that you've kept is something you really like. And so it's like I don't know, like you look at your closet and you're like, dang. But then that makes me think I need to get rid of all the rest of it too. <laughs> um All the rest of your clothes? It, well, not all of them, but it, it's like when you, I guess when you only keep the things that you like, then suddenly you've got, you know, only those, I mean, you know, it's different when you like, look, you're like, oh, wow, every single one of these shirts is one that I would wear. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has that problem of like, um, that I had before I did this stuff of like a lot of clothes that I own, I don't like and don't wear. Yeah. I, I did but, have that. Yeah. I got rid of a a bunch of stuff and I kind of bought new things like I kind of did some replacement things so I bought some stuff that I knew I would wear and kind of ditched the stuff that I hadn't been wearing yeah right so I tried not to add as much as it was kind of a 
a replacement act of replacement right well and it's like i have one shirt that my dad got me it's a t-shirt and it's not something that i wear um but when i see it i just kind of like it because he you know got it for me Mm -hmm. um i don't feel guilty for not wearing it um and so i kept that because according to the rules of the of the method if, if something if you know if you like it you can keep it even if you're not it doesn't necessarily matter if you're gonna wear it or not if you like your t-shirt you can keep your t-shirt so what i did yes i had a bunch of shirts from events and things like that that i had been to and yeah i didn't have a lot of space and i thought you know i don't know if i'm gonna wear these but i like having them so what i did instead is i took pictures of the shirts and I I mean, it may sound silly, but I still can, if I ever come across these pictures, I'll see the picture of the shirt and think about the event it's associated with without having to take up space for a shirt I wouldn't wear. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, my mom makes uh, t-shirt quilts and scarves where, like, and for hers she doesn't just like cut a square of the shirt and do it. She'll basically take like the most important part of the shirt, like the lettering or whatever, Mm -hmm. and add that to the scarf or the quilt. Um, So that was another option. That's cool. I didn't end up, I I mean, I took shirts back to her a couple years ago that I wanted that done with, but uh, I I didn't do that with most of these, but so like you do the clothes and the next step is books. Mm -hmm. So, I like to have a lot of books. Right. And I think it's important for Catholics to have, you know, at least according to their state in life, you know, a reasonable sort of library of, of you know, the writings of the saints and other important works. Sure. The that they're able. Yeah. Um, because that's our patrimony and that's what we're supposed to, you know, receive from the previous generation and hand on to the next. And so, um, you know, that's a good thing to sort of build up your little Catholic library. No, I, I think books are books are probably more important than clothes. Well, you should always have clothes on, but in terms of an abundance of things, I would choose books. Right. Um, and so, you know, going through it, again, with the same measure being the sort of sparks joy, quote unquote, thing, you do realize at some point, like I did, that there's a certain number of books I had that, you know, I read a chapter or two, and I don't really think I'll actually finish it, but I see the book and tell myself I should. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to the clothes thing. You kind of say, okay, well, the purpose of this book um, was for me to buy it and read a couple chapters and realize I didn't want to finish it. And so it has now served its purpose, and it can go on to its next uh, next owner. Interesting. Okay. And so, you know, you do that. But then, you know, you have your books that are, like, reference that you do want to keep. So, I mean, obviously, you know, my copies of this, my copy of the Summa sparks joy, so that I keep. You know, my catechisms and that kind of stuff. There's just a handful of books, most of them written by authors who are still living, that, you know, I've read a couple chapters, got a grasp of the thesis, and then, you know, I'm done with. And so, you know, passing those along. Right, uh, Zach, question. Right now... I have a cup I'm drinking out of, and the coaster I'm currently using is a copy of Fatherhood by Bill Cosby. 
do you think that I should keep that, or do you think that I should Marie Kondo it to its next? A very excited person to get their hands on this copy of Bill Cosby's Fatherhood. Um, well, I guess, you know, his own kids were probably the only people that were safe, so... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. I would, I would maybe toss <laughs> that one, right. um, since he's a monster. Yeah, so um, the story behind that is, for some reason, my brother had a copy of it, and him and his wife have a baby due in November, and his wife said he's not allowed to read it. And I said, hey, millions of people have read that. Well, and you know, the weird thing is is that Camille Cosby has still not been brought up on any charges, and like the the backstory to that is that the victims, he'd bring them over to their house, and she'd make them dinner. And then they would, him and the victim, anyway, we don't have to go off on that tangent, but Camille mm-hmm. Cosby should be investigated. Um, he's in jail, I think. So, <laughs> Sorry to bring this up. No, anyway. Bill is, but Camille's not. Oh, okay, Camille. His wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, so with, you know, whereas with clothing, you know, I kept a much smaller percentage of that. I'm, I'm not finished with the books phase yet, but I, I have kept quite a few books because I do, I do really like books, and there's books that I like to reference and stuff. But there was a decent stack of books that I had that I kind of would see on the shelf and be like, I need to finish that, I need to finish that, I need to finish that. And getting rid of them was kind of nice. So one of the things I think we can fool ourselves into thinking that along those lines is, especially if it's a book about the faith, that we need to keep it because we need to learn more about the faith, right? And it would be irresponsible of us to throw this away. But like you said, some things just don't take. Like you, you can, there's not just one book about the faith. So if something doesn't work out, you can ship it on down the road and try and find something that works out. Right. And, you know, it's nothing against, you know, Peter Kreeft. I just, I don't plan to finish any of the books that he wrote that I bought. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but they were helpful while they, you know. Um, But then, you know, I have one book that I didn't read the whole thing because I wasn't necessarily asked to. I was asked to read certain passages of it while I was coming into the church. And so I like, I like seeing it there. So, you know, I keep that one because the priest that brought me into the church had me read certain passages from it. So there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, the the catch there with all this, with this method is that you're not just getting rid of stuff thoughtlessly, um, but you're also not just keeping anything thoughtlessly. Like everything that you keep sort of has to earn its place. And that's, I think, why it's been effective so far I'm not done yet um, and it's it's practical so basically you go um, in a specific order that you have to stick to which is clothes books papers and then miscellaneous items and then sentimental items oof right and the idea is you kind of work up to those things that you're going to have more attachment to okay I like it and like the last step literally is pictures um, oof and that's kind of interesting but yeah that's what you kind of work up to as far as getting rid of things or tidying as they call it. The real strength of the show is going to come on that fateful day when Marie Kondo has to con Marie her Netflix television show. Right. The show's wild. And I say that only because like there's these married couples and they're just throwing each other under the bus left and right. Like Mm -hmm. none of our married listeners should ever allow like, don't ever allow that woman and cameras into your home. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, have her over to help you clean out your stuff if you want. But yeah, I mean, and it's I don't know. It's just interesting how we accumulate 
all these things. And um, I think a good person to really look to on, on some of this would be Haley Stewart and her book, The Grace of Enough, or talk to Jake Dadanista on Twitter about um, St. Basil. What I'm, I guess, not concerned about, what I, what I wonder about is if the sort of KonMari thing goes far enough. I mean, so you're getting rid of all these things that don't spark joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at what point is it a problem that things spark joy, you know? What, like, just the idea behind what that means as far as looking to things yeah, to spark like, is joy? That, is that also sort of a, a, a bad attachment? It, it seems like a very, very, very natural end to an item, right? There's, there's no, it's, to some extent, the item itself on a natural level should spark joy and should spark some sort of helpfulness or convenience. Right. But th- we're not, we're not called yeah. to just stay at the natural level. Like we're called to go above and beyond that. But it, it can, it turns out it would turn out to be a bad thing. If, if anything, like it becomes a replacement religion or a placement, spirituality or philosophy type thing. Right. And that's where, that's where, I mean, I, I think that as far as embracing simplicity, like the, I think Father Ripperger's advice was, you know, you kind of go through and anything you haven't used in six months, you toss. Mm-hmm. Right, which um, is, it's would be very daunting initially. Right. But it's like I a helpful that, sustainer. Right. I, that's the thing. I think that for your initial cleaning, this sort of method, in a sense, works to go, like we said, you know, clothes, books, papers, miscellaneous objects, sentimental items. And then you kind of, your upkeep is the stuff that you haven't used in six months. I used to have drawers of old school work and it used to just sit there, right? And then one day Uh I was like, what value does this very, very slightly above average school work have to do with anything in my life? So I got rid of all of it, except for a few things that I found funny. I'd look through and like if I found something that I was a real big dummy on, I kept it because it's funny to look at. But, but yeah, there's it. For I, I got so caught up in the idea of schoolwork, and I I wasn't like beating down the doors with all A pluses. So like, what am I what am no, I doing? Keep, not. <laughs> what am I doing keeping this stuff around? Really. Well, and that, that's, and again, that's the other value I would say or benefit to the sort of approach proposed by Marie Kondo is that you don't keep things just because you'd feel bad getting rid of them. That's where you're like, oh, I've got to keep all this schoolwork. Like, you know, there's a certain party that thinks back to like, you know, I was, I was like a little kid. I was like a better person back then or, you know, whatever it is. And, but it's like, yeah, but I mean, those things that you kept are worth keeping, but it's not worth just keeping everything just because you know you have it right wiser words were never spoken wiser words it's not worth so, yeah, keeping I'm gonna, you know continue. just because you have it right you're so right um <laughs> when you repeat back what i've said um <laughs> but so it is interesting and it's i don't know when i look around like you're, you know you kind of stick to the order of of things so when i get to the miscellaneous objects there's so many things in my apartment that before when I was trying to go for simplicity I kept 
that now I'm like, oh, this is going. Like, this is getting, this is going away. Because it, like, you know, I it seemed like, oh, I need to keep this, I might need it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now I'm like, well, I probably won't need it. And it, you know, sparks no joy, I guess o- you could Oddly say. enough, ever since you started this, I have not been to your apartment. I don't know what to read into that. I don't know what kind of sparking joy issues may have arisen, but I just, you know, just pointing things out. Right. You know, I will say that I have basically like the, the clothing that I'm donating and the objects. I'm actually, I have them kind of lined up cause I do want to see the cumulative total. So it's not, it's not going to leave my apartment until it all leaves my apartment. Oh, that's interesting. I like it. Have you taken, do you take pictures and stuff like before and after and stuff, things like that? I, I didn't really do before pictures. Um, It'd probably be hard to tell. Right. Like when, when I brought out all my clothes and dumped them all in the, in the big pile to go through, I took a picture like of that, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I have all the clothes kind of sorted into stuff that I'm going to try to sell, stuff that I'm donating and stuff that's just tra- that, you know, I'm just tossing. Um, and, you know, with books, the same thing. And I'm, I'm interested to see just the cumulative amount of stuff that, you know, I have that I either that I don't use and I don't even like. I mean, that was where I was like, well, you know, a, a good first step, I guess, with the whole method is that you're getting rid of things that you don't use and you don't even like. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good place to, I guess, start is that at least everything you have, you use it or you like it. And then you can kind of go from there for simplicity. Where would you fall on the recommend this scale? I, it's tough because there is just a questionable spirituality behind all of it. And Mm -hmm. I've like always been someone that says you can't just whitewash that kind of stuff. Like you can't just look the other way about sort of weird underlying, like incorrect philosophies. Mm -hmm. But as a practical method of getting rid of, of, you know, basically going through things categorically in, in a specific order and getting rid of things that you don't want to keep, but you don't want to get rid of. Um, I think it's really practical. And so, and I guess I'm, I'm not as worried of people reading the KonMari method book and then putting it into practice and then like leaving the faith or becoming, you know, it's kind of an animistic thing of like basically assigning sort of characteristics to it's inanimate objects it's like a cutesy thing right like a little yeah well and i don't know because so she actually worked in a she she worked in like a a temple like a shinto temple thing Uh oh i remember my terms correctly right but again like i don't necessarily see this as particularly alluring as a spirituality that's going to draw people out of the faith the way that people do with other new agey or Eastern practices. Mm. Um, so I don't, I, I give it a yellow light. I, I give the order, like, you know, if people want to just listen to us and go through their clothing, books, papers, miscellaneous objects, sentimental items in that order, I give that a green light. I give the sort of full method, a yellow light because there's it's kind of superimposed on it is this spiritual aspect. Okay. So you're only allowed to read Mary Kondo first you read Haley Stewart. Okay. A green and yellow light. Like it's the sprite of methods. I don't know. Like as opposed to a full-blown red light, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. 
Yeah, read Haley Stewart's book because we like plug-in books you of our friends who you should read on this. Read, yes, and read, that book sparks joy, so it, may, it, it survived. Read Caitlin's book about Tolkien and read my brother's book about Maury C. Moose. Read all the, just those books. Those are the only books. Yes, Maury C. Moose. Once you've Marie Kondoed your books, buy only those books. Oh, uh, Katie McGrady has books, too. Yes, and I have one of hers. I got Scott, a review copy. Scott Smith had one. And yes. let's see, Sorab has one. He was on here. Massimo might have one. Massimo has a lot of books. I mean, I think that uh, follow Massimo on Twitter, Dr. Fajoli, and let's just leave it at that. Um, we need to get Sorab back on. Yeah. we didn't. We... I'm going to call up our buddy Sorab. Okay. I tried to get... He did that debate recently with David French. Did you watch it? I didn't watch it. Me neither. I did watch the, like, but you were a jag comment. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch that. I was just kind of like, I don't need to watch any of this. It's funny because everybody, of course, at Reason.com, which our friend, friend of the show, Stephanie Slade, right. part of that, right. they were like, David French won by a mile. And I'm like, I know that you guys maybe think that, but, like, Sorab for while there's and i you know i him and i've talked about areas where i think that he may be not 100 percent where i think he could be Mm -hmm. um his side is not something that used to be debated well right as so just by having the debate i think that that the sorab side won because it didn't used to be up for discussion the the sort of david french cower and fear method was was a given as always, Matthew Walther has a, a great take on it as, like, Sorab lost just because David French's side is so hard to debate against. So, like, he was actually, he was just entering ill-equipped, basically. Right, but, I mean, just the, again, like, this was not something that used to be debated. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I think that it's just because the debate took place. I would say that's the winner. Um, that's good. That's a fair if, point. Yeah. So I'll have to read Walther's piece. I, I try to never disagree with Walther. So, mm-hmm. except when he's wrong. <laughs> yep. Can I interest you in a saint of the week? Unless you have anything else it. to close up this condo, Marie Condo. Nope. Nope. I'm good. I think we've we've exhausted the topic. Wow. Saint Nicholas. Of Tolentino, born in Italy. Okay, so and this isn't St. Nick. This isn't jolly old St. Nicholas. No. This is other St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas also. Born in 1246 in Italy. He died September 10th in 1305. He was canonized June 5th, 1446. By Pope Eugene the Fourth, uh, we right. need another Eugene. Pope Eugene. We need more Pope Eugenes. Anyway, yes, feast day, September tenth, which is the day we're recording this. He is the patron of animals, babies, boatmen, dying people, mariners, holy souls, sick animals, sailors, souls in purgatory, watermen. The patron saint of a bunch of different cities including a couple in the Philippines and many in Italy, and actually three in the Philippines. He's also the patron of the Philippines. Wow. Go figure. Hey. So. You would think that would be like St. Philip Neri or something? Like somebody, I mean, 
Philippine? Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, fair. At the age of 16, Nicholas became an Augustinian friar and was a student of the Blessed Angelus de Scarpetti. He was ordained in 1270 at the age of 25 and soon became known for his preaching and his teaching. He had had visions of the angels reciting uh, to Tolentino, and he took this as a sign to move to that city where he lived the rest of his life. He worked to counteract the decline of morality and religion, which came with the development of city life in the late 13th century. Cities aren't good. That's what I took from that. Uh, It was the pod people. It was the pod chair. (laughs) That's right. His kind and gentle demeanor made his superiors entrust him with the daily feeding of the poor at the monastery gates. But at times he was so free with the friary's provisions that he had, they basically had to make sure that he was not, that he's being like not overly generous. Basically they just let him do what he had to do. But then they realized like this guy's so good that maybe he's being too good. He received a vision of the blessed Virgin Mary and St. Augustine who told him to eat some bread marked with a cross and dipped in water. Uh, This was after a very long fast of his. And upon doing this, he was immediately more stronger. He grew more stronger because of the visions and the bread dipped in water. Uh, During his life, he is said to receive visions, including images of purgatory, and all of these are ascribed to his lengthy fasts. Uh, Towards the end of his life, he became ill, but he continued to do these mortifications that had been such a part of his holy life. And he died, like I said, in 1305. Uh, There are many tales and legends related to Nicholas. One is that the devil once beat him with a stick, and then the stick was displayed in his church. And then another was that one time Nicholas was served a roasted fowl, and he was a vegetarian. And once he made the sign of the cross for it, it got up and flew out the window. Saving, saving roasted talk about Talk about fast food. <laughs> oh, man. Just brought it full circle back to the McDonald's. Anyway, anything else before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so, but, uh, you know. St. Nicholas, pray for to- us. Yes, St. Nicholas, pray for us, and looking Mm -hmm. forward to providing you all with lots and lots of content. So much content. All right, well, good work, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. 